0: Testing, testing, one, two, one, two, testing, ready? Okay. Yes, it's a huge welcome and hopefully welcome back to the Crash Podcast, which is all about clinical radiology academics speaking honestly. I'm your host, Tom Termezai. Consultant radiologist in Norwich and the Royal College of Radiologists 2020 Roentgen Professor. Oh goodness me, that feels like a long time ago now. So what's been going on? Well, it's been just over six months since the last Crash podcast episode released in May 2021, when we spoke to the fantastic Joe Jacob from University College London about all his worldly escapades and research experiences. Well, and since then, well, while the world has been working its way through the Greek alphabet, the Crash team has been working on new ideas for a second run at exploring the world of academic radiology and research. In the episode so far, our theme has been very much to cover all the different career stages and situations radiologists involved in research, working our way up the career ladder. Now, while we continue on that theme with the episode today, which more in a moment, going forwards, however, we plan to take a slightly different approach to the crash world. As the series progresses, and if we can convince them to join us, we're hoping to talk with individuals outside of radiology involved in imaging research, radiologists with international academic experience, and radiologists that have found their ultimate calling to work in industry and pharma. And after having locked them in the first time around to agreeing to a repeat appearance, we hope to catch up with some of our previous guests, find out what they have been up to in the last year and a half. We're also planning to meet the team behind Radiant, the radiology academic network for trainees, who will spill the beans on how they've made such a resounding success of reaching out across the whole UK to bring research opportunities to the latest cohort of radiology trainees, inspire what will hopefully be a new generation of research driven leaders in the specialty. Then towards the end of the year, we're going to take a step sideways and look for imaging researchers that have used radiology and its imaging capabilities for a variety of more unusual investigations That's gonna be a little bit different, but hopefully a whole lot of fun. But let's get back to this episode. As I said before, we're going to explore one last aspect of the research career ladder. And certainly in my opinion, one of the most underestimated, but surely most prevalent. At the 2021 Clinical Radiology Research Day held by the Royal College of Radiologists at the end of last year, which was on November the 25th, I had a live discussion with three consultant radiologists who work most of their time in the NHS, but all of whom have thriving research careers, and they very kindly agreed for that discussion to be shared with you today. So although they are not with me right now, it's a huge pleasure to reintroduce our three guests from that session, Julie Cox from Sunderland, Jonathan Rodriguez from Bath, and Jamie Franklin from Bournemouth. There'll be a full introduction in the recording, but just to whet your appetite, we had a really interesting conversation that, looking back as I was preparing for the episode, doubles up as some pretty useful life wisdom covering notions such as it's good to be challenged, no one is the norm, and how important it is to always welcome the unexpected. And that's definitely a Pixar movie and all that. Anyway, let's hear from Jonathan, Jamie and Julie about how they have made the most of their consultant careers so far from their engagement with research. I'm really pleased to invite Jamie Franklin, Jonathan Rodriguez, and Julie Cox. And let me give you a little bit of a bio introduction to each. Jamie is a consultant GI and HPP radiologist at the University Hospitals Dorset and an associate professor and head of the Institute of Medical Imaging and Visualization at Bournemouth University. He studied medicine at Cambridge and then Imperial for becoming an ACF during his training in Oxford radiology training and subsequently Jamie undertook a DPhil, not a PhD, at the University of Oxford um, as part of the CRUK and EPSRC funded Oxford Cancer Imaging Centre looking at oligomostatic colorectal cancer and um, his research is predominantly focused on using MRI and other advanced imaging techniques to detect cancer and assess tumor biology. Welcome, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Jonathan Rodriguez is a consultant radiologist at the Royal United Hospitals in Bath and an honorary senior lecturer at the Department of Health, not in London, at the University of Bath. That confused me, Jonathan. Um, he has a PhD from Bristol on comprehensive role of cardiovascular magnetic resonance and systemic hypertension. And his current research includes multimodality cardiothoracic imaging, often with AI to improve patient pathways and outcomes. And he's worked on several AI projects in collaboration with industries, such as what you may have heard of as heart flow, also imbio lung texture and and the Siemens AI Rad Companion and then Julie, last but not least at all, Julie is a consultant radiologist based in Sunderland with clinical specialty interests in breast and vascular interventional radiology. She's also a visiting professor at the University of Sunderland and deputy director of medical education at South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust and her research interests are in novel breast imaging, staging of the in breast cancer and error and discrepancy in radiology as well as innovative patient-centered pathways of diagnosis developed in collaboration with patients. What I wanted to do was take us through some topic discussions but also interleave that with some quick five questions, which I hope you can give us an insight into. So why don't we start off with asking Julie, what practical research experiences did you have as a trainee, Julie?
1: Well, this will be a bit of a short answer because I didn't have any, basically. So I started doing research as a consultant. I've been, I've been a consultant about uh, five years, actually. So I'm very much not the norm for the people who are attending here today as consultants. I started much later and it was actually a problem in clinical practice that, that sort of piqued my interest. And then I developed that with a, a great deal of assistance to, into a research grant.
0: So that's kind of w- where I'm from, basically. Hey, Jonathan, the same to you. What was the practical research experiences that you had as a trainee?
2: Thanks for the question. I think actually just uh, a slightly wider discussion point is is most people so far have said they're not the norm. Uh, and it strikes me that I'm also not the norm. But that is not not being the norm is the norm for radiology, because we have a very small pool of academic clinical fellows uh, and actually it shows that that a lot of people do it in different ways and and, and the immense potential so I I was always quite interested I started it out like most people doing some research projects with um, local supervisors but the sort of practical uh, more didactic skills that or or experiences there's the RCR research certificate it was a pilot scheme when I was a trainee and that was particularly good because it got me exposed to peer review I remember um, emailing Derek uh, Martin the then editor of ClinRad to say, could I do some peer review as part of that process? It also um, uh, made me register and do the good clinical practice certificate and understand uh, information governance around research. But I also um, did some formal research training in that um, I took some time out to do the practical statistics for medical research at UCL. So that's a week-long residential course. And that was really very, very useful indeed um, at a time when I was Trying to develop some research ideas and and enabled me to be a bit more um, confident in in statistics. Um, So those are sort of the 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 more practical aspects.
0: From my yeah, it's a really interesting point you make. No one is the norm in this path, Um, and we want to be making sure that everyone feels that that doesn't exclude them from the research experience. So Jamie, let's come on to you. You are different in your training. Maybe you made your decisions a little bit earlier.
3: Yeah, so maybe I count as what, it, what, it, what is the norm, although I completely agree with Jonathan that, uh, that most people come to research at any time and it can work at any, you know, wherever, wherever path where you've gone from. And I actually sort of happened into radiology and radiology research almost by accident. I applied for an academic foundation program in paediatrics and didn't get it and got offered an academic nuclear medicine in Brighton. So ended up doing academic nuclear medicine with Ken Miles in Brighton. And that was the start of my radiology career. So I have a lot to be thankful for in happenstance. Uh, So I did that. That was a day a week during my F2 in Brighton. And then I applied for an ACF in Oxford where I was fairly sure I wanted to do uh, imaging research at that point. And I got a day a week during my first ST1 to 3 uh, to sort of develop studies and so forth. Then took a year of just normal clinical training to get my FRCR um, in ST4 and then my PhD between ST4 and 5. And then uh, fell out the back end of training um, after ST5, as everyone does. and and took a non-academic consultant job um, uh, in in Dorset, which is fantastic, and then uh, found myself in a formal academic post subsequently and so that opportunity presented itself almost unexpectedly
0: yeah fantastic one thing I just also was really pleased about was to see such strength across the UK in centres that were outside of what one might consider the main academic pillars just to everyone here did you find that that was something that was easy to achieve in in your geographic location during training and then on through to consultants Julie maybe do you have a thought on that Um,
1: I didn't have any barriers obviously my experience was slightly different because I was already established as a, as a, as a consultant um, and I was able to get quite a lot of assistance and, and mentorship through actually was the research design service, um, um, which is um, also an NIHR funded um, initiative. I didn't have uh, any
0: difficulty really. Yeah. Uh, and Jonathan yourself, uh, what about your ge- geography and how that shaped what you did? <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. And I guess my experience kind of um, follows on from a comment that you said, I think at the outset, Tom, that, you know, there's lots of imaging research going on and is imaging research done by imaging specialists. So my PhD, I, I came out of a program between uh, ST4 and ST5, and I did it as a cardiac MRI clinical based project, but it was in the NIHR then biomedical research unit, which was cardiology and cardiothoracic surgery theme. So I dovetailed in with a clinic, my clinical interest to do research um, in in cardiac imaging. But there are lots of people doing who are not radiologists doing imaging based research. So, in terms of was it difficult? You know, I think the 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 things that are required to to achieve are determination, uh, hard work, and some surreptitious you know connections. But I think broadly speaking, outside of maybe the the big tertiary centres, the London centric. Uh, centers um it it may be difficult to do dedicated primary radiological research unless you have uh you know a nice imaging center that's down down um uh, jamie's way but so you have to be dynamic and it uh, and that does bring opportunity because i think some of the most impactful clinical research we do is, is with our clinical colleagues so i think there are opportunities as well
0: yeah, Jamie, that brings us nicely into the situation that you find yourself in. I think there's some parallels between, for example, your and my experience, that, that, in where we find ourselves at our stage of our career working in somewhere away from a major, major centre. But tell us a little bit about what, you, what your relationship is with the, um, the academic center, imaging centre that you are closely involved with.
3: Yes, yeah, so I mean, I agree with, with Jonathan's comments that sometimes being forced to think outside the box is really good for you, you know, really good to look at the opportunities. So, my, my research was pretty focused both in Brighton and Oxford on, on cancer biomarkers, you know, relatively narrow in biomedical research center in Oxford. You know, you have all the genetics, all the molecular biology, all the oncology uh, that comes with that, and that, that kind of keeps you reasonably narrow. You, don't, you know, you know that that's going to deliver. And I don't have that infrastructure where I work now in Dorset. So, you know, we have a, an imaging center based in a, you know, technology focused university. And so I have this broader remit to use imaging in different ways for visualization, for for with, you know, technology professors in the animation and computer sciences faculties. So I've had to think more broadly. And I think that's kind of fun and exciting and and, and challenges you and, and keeps you fresh. I, I will say that I am still doing the biomarker work, but I'm doing it in collaboration with our local you know, biomedical research center in Southampton, uh, and that's, that's working out pr- pretty well. But you know, in terms of the research I deliver in Dorset, I'm having to think about what's, what I can do here, and that's been really rewarding too. So I think you know there are opportunities everywhere, and you have to just look at what, your, what the skills are locally, what the footfall in terms of patient footfall is locally, and what your infrastructure is.
0: We have a lot of trainees as in our audience today, and I want you to be honest about this and try and dial back your time to being a trainee. And I'll ask each of you in turn, but let's continue with you, Jamie. Did you always imagine research would be um, part of your consultant job? Was it absolutely a lock-in for you that that would be
3: the case? If you'd asked me, you know, when I was an ST. Three, four, five—I'd have said yeah, Or three, four—I'd have said yes. And then I think I think most of us who do research have ups and downs. You know, I was talking to Amal about this, you know, not that long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, you you definitely fall in and out of love with doing research. And when I took my consultant job, I, I wasn't expecting to have any substantive research um, component. And the opportunity here came as a result of having completed my PhD, and uh, and and, and, I, and I, that was sort of unexpected so so i think you know you, you have to be prepared in your research career sometimes to be really enjoying it and sometimes for it to be a, a bit a bit a bit of a slog
0: julie you've already given us a strong hint about this the same question did you in any way when you were working through your, your exams you know you're learning how to do barium enemas what did you think that the research as a consultant would be something that would be such an important part
1: uh, no, by no means. I mean, I didn't really even occur to me, really. So my research career is purely by accident, <laughs> I sort of blended into it, really. No, I didn't. I think just maybe points to some things to take home is that when you get into consultant practice, obviously, w- when you're a trainee, you're doing exams, you're moving around, it's all it's all change. When, when you become a consultant, things do slow down a bit. You get more emails and you get more <laughs> complaints. <laughs> but... Um, most of the job is quite quite static so I think to you do need some involvement in something to develop your career to stop you getting bored because you can only do so many breast clinics so your head will fall off really so um I think I think you need to think about how you're going to develop in the future in, mm. and so I've kind of done like a lot of people I've kind of done medical education and research because they kind of they they do kind of cluster together I think um so I think yeah I, I think you need to think about how you're going to continually kind of Challenge yourself as a as a consultant. The other thing I was just going to mention is another way to start out, which rather than doing your own projects, is to is to is to be a PI on a on a on a portfolio project, um, which is, is another way that I actually started and started yeah. recruiting into somebody else's trial. Um, it's a shame that actually there's not that many pure, well, there are very few pure radiology projects on on the portfolio. Um, that's quite an easy way to start. That's the way a lot of our colleagues and other specialties actually start uh, mm. later on in consultant life. So it's just... Those, those,
0: yeah, those. yeah, I mean, I'm looking yeah. forward also to hearing about the associate PI scheme and I've had yeah. discussions yeah. about that with, with, with Holly about um, what is, does it have to be a radiology project yeah. that you're involved yeah. with? We'll hear more on that more on that later. Um, and also to reflect on what research is, you talked about the crossover of education and research. I think we should really put out there that research does not have to be, you know, wet lab work or specific. Yeah. Specifically, developing sequences, there is so much from education to public health um, to business. You know, an MBA is still a degree um, and can have ma- massive clinical impact in how we would deliver our healthcare. Um, and so, just there's a whole range of things that research could mean. Uh, Jonathan, can I come to you with that same that question? Hand on heart, as a trainee entering training, um, d- progressing, was research always on the cards?
2: Um, I think just. Just before I answer that, I think the point you have just made, Tom, is, is something I was going to make is, is, you know, research, we've seen some, you know, fantastic cutting edge uh, science. But but I think as a, a jobbing clinician, clinical radiologist, there are some important clinical questions that we need to ask and answer with research. We've seen that from the Radiant, the topics chosen by Radiant, answering useful day to day questions. And, and a, a jobbing radiologist is best placed to often think of those and deliver those. So when I say, when you say, did I always envisage research? I, I w- it would be remiss to say I always thought I'd be doing some high end, deeply scientific research. But, you know, I, I am generally quite inquisitive, always asking, always wondering. And so I think when we think about that and when we think about there really shouldn't be this you know dichotomy between research and clinical work everything we do clinically needs to have an evidence base behind it uh, and the field of clinical uh, work that I, I, I pursue in, in cardiac imaging uh, has quite a lot of um, evidence base behind it um, uh, whether that's driven by cardiologists doing the imaging w- w- rightly or wrongly there is a lot of evidence base behind that and so um, for me there's not really this dichotomy and I would always going kind to. Of Try to be involved with it if I could but you know you never know you never know where you're going to end up but what I would say is is that because it's such um, a market for uh, you know we're in such shortage of consultants you can really shape what you want to do so I did say when I went and when I was looking around for jobs I'm potentially interested to do a bit of research might that be an opportunity and we heard from other speakers about that carving out opportunities into your own job plan so I think I think it's an ideal time to start asking the question, um, uh, and but you will have to work hard to to, to, to make it work.
3: Uh, talk, Jonathan, sorry, I, I mean I completely agree. I think you know the, the the market is such that you you know if you have the skill set and you want to continue that practice your consultant job, there are there are opportunities. And Josh, I think, highlighted that he has a, a research PA, a colleague of mine who. Finished at similar time to me. Went to Stoke Mandeville Hospital near Oxford and has a research PA. My um, colleague Mark Little in Reading you know there's there's chances to, to you know we're in demand and we can we can be a little bit uh, we can negotiate on what's possible in our departments. I think.
2: And just actually to come back on the point that Julie made is is that I think I think sometimes when you're starting out potentially as a senior trainer you're focused on getting your consultant job, and then once you've been in, in in post for a while you will want to have a bit of a portfolio career to keep, to keep you going, to keep you motivated, to, to, to bring trainees along. So I think actually um, it, it is really important to think about, you know, we're going to be in this for a long haul. Um, how are we going to keep motivated? How are we going to keep engaged and keep delivering things? And I think research gives you a little bit of that purpose. That you, you can rationalize, you can um, decide whether we should be doing something or we can categorically say, no, that's not the appropriate thing. We should be focusing on something else. Uh, and I think that's really gives us a bit of control, takes back a bit of control over uh, over what, you know, some of the clinical work that we do.
0: So we're going to come back to this theme and just <clears throat> in terms of time, but I wanted to do is do a quick fire question for each of you. And I'm going to start just Julie. It's the same question to everyone. What are the most rewarding aspects for you? So just some quick fire answers on that. Rewarding um, aspects of research.
1: I'm quite task-based. So I, like, I like finishing off projects. I like I like seeing things come to fruition and I really enjoyed feeding back results to patients actually it's really Mm -hmm. interesting what it means to them I think that's really
0: Mm -hmm. rewarding. Jamie same to you what's the most rewarding aspects of research again quick fire?
3: So I think the first is like it's a team team game research and working collaboratively with people not you know locally and 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 elsewhere is brilliant and the second is you know is it's great to have things that have medium and longer term horizons, you know, during an NHS job, because a lot of our things are quite short term horizons and having things which progress over a different time scale is, you know, great.
0: So uh, Jonathan, you can see what's going on here. What's your
2: take? Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of alluded to earlier, I think uh, it, it keeps it fresh, keeps the, nice. the day job varied, but I also agree with, with Jamie, that the teamwork, but specifically within the teamwork, what is most rewarding is seeing trainees come who maybe don't have much research experience and you start a project with them and you see how much they develop over that time period to presentations and uh, and peer-reviewed publications I think that is uh, the most rewarding
0: so in the context of the research that you're now working on Julie if I come back to you what are the biggest barriers to actually getting that research done and I think we've got a hint of what those things are, but please, do tell us more. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think everyone struggles with 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 time, but but I think I think one of your other speakers, Joshua, gave it a really good tip. Is if you can try to bundle all your research time into a day, or or you know, it won't get carved out so much. The, the the two, the one or two hours are are almost always a disaster for most of us. Actually, do you know what I mean? Tagging stuff on the end of the day. So if you can if you can carve out your time a bit, that that that's really helpful. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I totally respect people who, I mean, there's some astonishing people who just learn how to do statistics, but I would just focus on what you, I think probably the most important skills are actually the project management skills and trying to track a number of projects that you're, that you might be leading on, but many more, I think, as you get older that you're actually contributing to, do, do you know what I mean? And where, where all they are and what you're supposed to do. And however you do that is your choice, whether you use it, whether you use some kind of, Online system to do that, or however you do that. So I would just get 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 your project project management of yourself sorted out, really, in the best way that you that you can. Um, but yeah, the 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 the, the time question and actually keeping up with, with with what is expected of you for each of the different um, projects that you're working on. Really, that's that that would be my barrier.
0: Uh, uh, Jamie, same same to you in the context. And it doesn't matter if it's the same response because it's all vital to hear these these things. What are, what are, in the context of what you're currently re- researching, what are the biggest barriers?
3: um i mean i think the 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 challenge is is always like maintaining momentum you know like keeping things going because often it feels like it's you sometimes pushing particularly when you're a junior level you don't have necessarily people who work you know uh, with you and you know it feels like if you stop the project stops i think the maintaining momentum is and that comes back to people being time poor but i think having strategies to maintain momentum so good project management as julie said but also bringing in collaborators who are going to keep you and keep the project moving even if you maybe have to take a, a foot off the gas when you've got exams or you've got you know kid or whatever life gets in the way and I think because what's quite dis- I, I've always found the most uh, dispiriting in research is when you take the foot off the gas and it all just stalls mm. and and that can really you know, it takes a while to get things back up and running. So having contingency plans, having some safety net around momentum and maintaining momentum in projects, I think is, is great. And the reason that things like Radiant work so well is because they have inherent momentum because of the number of people involved.
0: Yeah, and I think that that momentum is really important. And I think one of the keys, and I've talked about developing as a leader right at the front end. Once you have been through what is that hard graft of the first five years, maybe, you start to get into the position of being able to lead on the projects. And really, that momentum is in the hands of other, other people. And that's when things start to broaden out. And then you can have that flexibility. But it is a bit of a long tunnel with the light at the end. Um, There's a really good talk I went to from Ian M. Banks, an author um, who sadly passed away. And I'm a real fan of his science fiction. Novels—they're hugely intricate in the way that they set their plots up. But I asked him, "How does he do that?" And actually, he said that he starts like a champagne glass, really, really thin to start off with. And the project can be very, very focused, and that can be quite a long time—many, many, many years—and then it finally branches out into lots of different projects, which you are the leader of. And that momentum that you had to carry all the way through um, yourself is something that now other people are also able to push forwards. So, Jonathan, can I ask you, in the context of the research that you're currently doing, what are the biggest barriers?
2: Well, I think actually that, you know, that momentum and time are two themes here, but I think actually it, it's momentum. And I, I fully agree with what Jamie's saying is is that, I mean, if we look across, and, and other speakers have said this, you know, in other specialties, to get a big tertiary centre job, you've got to have done a PhD, which means that every trainee is, is queuing up. There is a workforce of people waiting to come out of the programme to do their research fellowship. Now, if you survey all of the trainees in the UK... There will be your ACFs, maybe your ACLs, but the vast, vast majority may not know or think about coming out of a program to do that. And so actually it, it's having that, you know, you have the leadership role. You need to have people that uh, are almost at the, you know, day to day project management level who are engaged. And I think with trainees rotating around, that can be quite difficult to deliver a, a longitudinal program of research. And I think that's something that NIHR imaging are trying to address. and and um, uh, and is on the radar. And I think for, for things to capitalise, we need to help at that level. And I think, you know, at a practical level, COVID, COVID recovery time on scanners is, is, a, is a big, big issue. Um, and that's facing everybody. So if you're even just trying to start up, you know, your portfolio studies again that require maybe uh, additional imaging beyond standard of care, that, that is really difficult when you have a big imaging backlog and trying to balance all of that. Um, but hopefully get over the hump of that. I think if we can invest, and we can invest at, at strategic levels within the research sort of um, chain, then, then we could really kick on.
0: I'm just going to ask another quick-fire question. Let's just say that there is that path that is off to the side, which is a formal academic post. Julie, would you ever consider a formal academic post, i.e. 50-50, for example?
1: Do you mean by that having your lead employer as a
0: university rather than the other? Uh, pretty much, or, you know, being funded, you know, through one of the major bodies as a 50-50 yeah. kind of situation. 80-20 is really the model that actually, so 80% research, yeah. 20 clinical.
1: clinical. Uh, no, I I quite like clinical work and I think it helps ground me and it helps them sort of do other parts of my job and I think while we're probably in talking to trainees frankly there are downsides to doing that in that you, you you're going to be you may well be uh, performance managed in terms of your actual output in as, as a as a university employee in terms of what you know the, the rap, what what you publish how much money you bring in which you probably won't be as an NHS consultant. Let's face it. Do you know what I mean? We're, yes. you know, Certainly for now. For now, I mean, I mean, anything you do is 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 greeted with with excitement and thanks. You know, generally, um, <laughs> provided you work in a normal place. I'm going to be honest. I have seen that not work out really well for some people. So on that basis, I, I'm perfectly happy doing what mm-hmm. I'm doing. So.
0: Same for you, uh, Jamie. Uh, form a formal funded university post. Fifty percent, eighty percent of your time in research. What's your um, feelings on that?
3: So my research time is funded by the university at the moment. So I have a, a day a week plus uh, university funded.
0: Okay, now's your chance to answer for more. Then go on. And and so
3: <laughs> so it's, it's a debate I had. So the, the post I the post I'm doing could be a full time job. I was originally advertised as a full time job. So there is the potential to have more time as a GI radiologist. And this was relatively early in my academic consultant career. I'm only four years in when I was offered this role. As a you have quite a lot of different activities. You know, So I have a 10-PA job. I do one cold CT list, one hot CT list, one MR list, one EUS list, one ultrasound list. Everything is one activity. If I do any more research time, I drop activities. And it wasn't that wasn't a compromise I was prepared to make so early in my consultant career. It's something I'm readdressing now. Now I can have a better feel for consultant life. And I have some funded projects coming through, which I kind of want to deliver on. So I may go to more of a... 70, 30, 60, 40 mm. type, type role. Um, for yeah, I to totally stop.
0: get that. I think you do also, if you're at the start of your consultant career, you want to really put those feelers out, find out what it is that you know that you really want to be committing to in the long term. Yeah. I, I mean, exactly the same quandary. Jonathan, yourself, would you consider a, a formal post with all that research
2: time? You know, I, I echo the sentiments of Ju- Julie and Jamie there. I think, um, you know, I, I love being a clinical radiologist. I love interacting with my uh, clinical colleagues doing the mbts doing this the specialist skills but i also uh, are very uh, interested in delivering research i think carving out time you know as uh, as julie was saying you know protecting maybe one day a week would be uh, a, a, an important model uh, and as jamie's saying is this if there are specific projects you want to deliver over a, t- a set time period you know maybe you've got three years funding to deliver this project you might then shift slightly to that i think i'm probably always going to be more of the clinical researcher rather than a a, a researcher first and foremost and and I think that's I think that's that's great I think that's there are opportunities and flexibilities for for everybody to 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 do it as as they see fit
0: my experiences have been that if you have one whole day a week you can just about keep going in what you're doing and you kind of need more than that if you're going to then grow your research plans so you're going to have to find that time from somewhere which i think brings us on to perhaps the last bit that we're going to talk about what ways are there to find that time and let's hopefully between us we'll all mention those key things that as a consultant are available to us jonathan let's continue with you what kind of opportunities are out there what would you put out to people what have you experienced that is available to do that
2: yeah, sure. So, well, I mean, I started as a 10 PA full, for you know, DCC SPA split for clinical. Um, and what I did, first of all, was apply for several pots of um, research capability funding from my trust. So money brought in from uh, engagement in our NIHR portfolio trials to, to deliver projects, pilot work and t- buy out time to write grants um, and deliver bigger projects. So uh, I ended up getting a, a variety of those from my trust and to the point that the R&D department said, well, actually, let's consolidate this and buy out some of your time. Um, and then those, some of those grants, most of them have been unsuccessful, a couple have been successful. I now have time funded by NIHR on, on a couple of grants, and that will buy out further time. So it has sort of been start small, start local, uh, fund projects, and then work, work up from that. Uh, sort of ground up of course there are de- depending on where you are what institution you are there's lots of other different sources um, and I think it's important to be aware that you know several of the NIHR funding streams and obviously lots of other funding streams but are, are designed to ask very important clinical questions and mm. that can be deliverable uh, to the NHS uh, in general so um, I think look at that and and actually there are Huge resources, you know, the NIHR Research Design Service in our uh, region is very good at suggesting funding streams for ideas, and very supportive. And I think you mentioned it early on, Tom, is that go and find the people that have done this, know what to do, know where the funders are, they're out to help you. uh, And you just need to find that in your local region.
0: Julie, you mentioned one way of having time was portfolio research, but uh, would you like to expand on that and perhaps some other opportunities there are to increase your time?
1: The CLRMs, Comprehensive Research Networks, do have uh, some PA funding uh, for... And, uh, and
0: just to explain what they are, they're the local branches of... They're the
1: local branches of the NIR, which are responsibility for kind of more service support things. I mean, there are... Yes. I, it's a bit outside the scope of this, but if you get a study portfolio adopted, there are many advantages. Um, but actually taking, being, being a PI or even sort of a co-investigator, or even as many radiologists do, is actually reporting for oncology studies, Um often, I mean, I'm sure everybody who's, who's involved, in this, involved in any kind of oncology reporting is asked to report or re-report scans to resist criteria, should actually be, be, be recognized as it's an additional task um, so there's, there's often research delivery funding research delivery PAs available from the CLRN um, that are available year on year and usually if you if you if you kind of tap into that system you might be it might not be a full PA's worth of funding but you might get something and then you might get your department to top it up to a PA that will that will be my advice really so that there is there is that that I mean, I've had excellent um, also in terms of resource, not specifically time, but the RDS have been fantastic. Also, I think people will, there's been a talk about looking for mentors and things like that. There's kind of a mentor to help you kind of negotiate through the system and that doesn't have to be a radiologist um, for me, it was actually uh, um, our, R&D, our head of R&D, um, who, R&D director, who was a gastroenterologist, who, was a, who became a really good friend of mine. And he just helped me sort of negotiate through
0: that. There can be people in other specialties who are better at managing these systems than we are. Thank you. Um, Jamie, what opportunities have you come across uh, or that you might like to talk about that uh, for increasing time for research as a consultant in the NHS?
3: So uh, just to pick up on uh, what Julie was saying, I've seen people be offered you know research PA as part of a package when you're newly appointed um and I've also seen consultant jobs advertised with research with resist PAs in them so I know Adam Brooks package up some of their jobs like that because they sort of pool their resist into one PA to to give someone that protected time I've seen um trust Truro advertised to sort of research an AI lead um I think that was I think that might have come from with funding from NC the NCIMI. Um, so there are trusts that are looking um, that are looking to create attractive jobs to their particular candidates in mind, or you go out asking and and, and try and get that job created uh, with with you in mind, um, with with that research time, um, and then like our our trust doesn't do that, but we do obviously release reporting from oncology trials on that should come back to radiology, you know, should come back to some to, you know another trial reporting should come back and benefit us, and we have a, a fund you know, of that to fund research fellows. It could fund consultant time, particularly if you have it on a time limited basis and you say, well, I'm going to become self-funding after two years, et cetera, et cetera. And then of course there's the opportunities to apply for, you know, projects related funding. So you know, you put in a grant, the grants got your time costed in it, you know, and yeah. And um, you know, you submit a grant and maybe it's maybe it's half a PA, maybe it's maybe it's a whole PA. Um, uh, depending on how onerous the project is for you um, and, and, and then the other thing we haven't quite mentioned Julie's mentioned previously but it is obviously education you know education is a way to have university funding uh, you know to, to buy you out of your NHS time and that obviously comes with the possibility to be involved in education but also educational research and university life
0: I mean, between the the three of you, you've hit all the nails on the head. I've, I was literally writing down project grants, and Jamie, you just go and mention it, and it's just right right on the, on the money, <laughs> literally. But um also, on with respect to project grants, they don't have to be yours. And we, oh. that you, exactly, and you should you know, get involved, seek out, be that imaging expert for <clears throat> the cardiologist, the endocrinologist, the sur- the surgical team. That then you can have that time, that, that and then your PA, which it replaces, can go go back and. I, did think there were just two other things that would be worthwhile mentioning in this bit as we come towards the end of this uh, panel discussion. One is the MRC CARP. Um, I forget what the CARP stands for, but the MRC do fund um, quite a lot of time on a... Re- and it's it's time you are guaranteed your clinical PAs back at the end of this. Um, it can be up to like 50% of your job. And I do know some people in, in Addenbrookes, for example, which is in my locality, that have this. Um, they're on that for the few years and you, you need to have a PhD. But there are some quite strict criteria that say you mustn't already be a PI on something. Um, but actually... Do not be put off by this because when you look in the small print, it says "Hmm, we'll actually accept Applications from people who have PI because it seems uh, who have a PI status on a project because it seems silly just to slam that iron curtain down and say, Look, you you can't because you've already got some experience. And and the other one was this interesting gray area of um, money that comes from universities that um, could be in a custom academic post. Maybe they're willing to sort of say, Okay, let's give you a five um, one day a week for five years. Um, Have those conversations. Um, And also, if you are near a center or with a center that has BRC status i mean you know <laughs> get myself in trouble but the way these this money moves around and works it's all very mysterious but it can be made available and i think you have to come to that with clearly some experience some uh, a, you know a plan um, and, a, and a really solid project and structure now look, we've only got a minute left can i open this app back out to the three of you to say is there anything you wanted to add from your experiences that you think will be relevant for our audience today?
2: I think I would just say, you know, if if you are at all considering research, go for it. You know, I think the more enthusiastic you are, the more likely you are to succeed. And, and you do have to plow your own furrow to a degree, but, but go for it, I think.
3: Jamie, did you have a closing thought? Oh, no, I just, uh, it's a great way to have a, like a diverse career and you will want a diverse career as a consultant. Yeah. So, you know, get involved early work with people, you know, don't be afraid to share credit, share work and, uh, and yeah, and, 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 and get involved. Julie, the last word.
1: Um, don't be afraid if you think it's not traditional, if you think it's something to do with more patient-facing, um, more health services re- research type thing about patient pathways and, and staff. Don't, you know, it's, it's, it's a really broad church and you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be afraid to do something a bit outside the box.
0: Jamie, Jonathan, Julie, thank you so much. We've come to the end of um, the session and I'm really grateful for your time for sharing your thoughts. There we go. Lots of great stuff to take away from that discussion with Julie, Jamie and Jonathan too. I'm extremely grateful and I think they're really inspirational individuals. Uh, For me, they put across brilliantly the essence of embracing research as part of a consultant career. In particular how it can breathe energy and variety into what can sometimes feel like an all-too-familiar week-by-week routine as a consultant. Now I personally also took away some practical points such as the value of working in collaborations, uh, the need for good project management, and keeping momentum going in your research, things that are really relevant no matter what stage of career you're at. But I think it was also important to hear from them that as clinical radiology consultants with research interests, and no one's a better place to drive meaningful research forwards than individuals with direct frontline clinical experience, Now, optimizing the opportunity for output to directly impact on patients. Now, that, along with the huge breadth of our practice in radiology, it's, is what puts clinical radiologists into such an important position that we as a whole specialty have to make the most of. Now know it's clear now that this is also one of the best times in recent years to be asking for that research time in your job plan if you are a consultant or as part of your schedule as a trainee. I mean, given the current demand for radiologists allied with the strong research infrastructure out there to support you. So I'm expecting all of you listening to go away, pour a glass of your favourite whatever, and have a good think about what you could bring to the research table, whether you're still a trainee, a recently appointed consultant, or one, should we say, slightly closer to that free bus pass than the rest of us. Now, we've all got something that I think that we can achieve in research, no matter what our position or our prior experience. So as Jonathan said, go for it. Now Hold on, hold on, hold on. Now look, we can't leave another crash episode without the crash test. I did mine with Joe, so that's me out, thankfully. So that really only leaves one other person that I can think of right now. And we can't possibly let the listeners down. Charlotte, do you fancy joining us?
4: Uh, Go on then, Tom. I'm happy to be involved.
0: Oh, look, that's fantastic, Charlotte. Look, before we start doing that, I just wanted to say thank you because without you, the podcast just couldn't happen. You are in the background every session helping me prepare, contacting all the guests that come on and liaising with Sue and getting the recordings to her. And she does such a fab job. And so I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. But let's just find out a little bit more about you before we do the crash test. Can you tell us, Charlotte, what's your role at the RCR? So I'm the RCR Learning
4: Coordinator. So the RCR Learning Team, we deliver all of the one-day events um, the webinars if you've ever been to an annual conference we're behind that so you've probably seen me before around and about the college
0: oh yeah fantastic and um how long have you been with the uh, rcr and what kind of stuff did you do before you joined
4: they uh, with well, the rcr years now um, i've always, always worked in charity so before i joined i worked for age uk before that, i was an intern in a kind of government office
0: Oh, fantastic. Great stuff. And what kind of other projects are you working on right now?
4: We are putting the final touches on our annual conference this year, so we should be able to have more details announced about that soon. Um, I'm behind the abstract competitions, so I'm also kind of just getting all those in order, ready to go for next year. We've got a few one-day meetings coming up that I'm working on, so both some oncology and some radiology ones. And we have a few webinars coming up this month, so uh, keep an eye on our website.
0: (laughs) Goodness me, yeah, you sound really busy. And yeah, folks, can strongly encourage you to make the most of these resources, because pandemic, just as the podcast I think has demonstrated has really changed the way that this stuff is available and Charlotte thanks so much for facilitating that okay let's not escape the obvious as ever we have the supremely technical crash test grid available what we're going to do is ask you to choose your first number please
4: yeah, say number sixteen.
0: Number sixteen. Okay, let's have a look. So, what was your best moment of 2021? Okay. Well,
4: my best moment of 2021, probably like a lot of people, when a lot of the uh, the restrictions lifted, so we're able to see people again, do more things again, kind of see friends that I hadn't seen for a long time. <laughs>
0: so Yeah, absolutely, and it's coming up almost. I think uh, we're recording this on the wall like the 20th of January. Next week, it's due to completely be lifted. So we'll see how that goes. Um, okay, good stuff. Would you like to choose the next number? Oh yeah, number five. Do you have any uh, repeatable nicknames that you feel like sharing with us that you've ever had?
4: Um, Most people call me Char, but when I was younger it was Charlie and I had a school dinner lady that called me Lottie and I absolutely hated it.
0: Okay, all right. Well, we won't do that. (laughs) Good. Okay, what's your next number?
4: Uh, Number
0: eight, please. Oh, hello. This is extremely tropical. What's the best party that you've ever been to? (laughs) Uh,
4: The best party? I spent some time in China and it was New Year's Eve. And we were in Xi'an. And it was just, I think we had a view of like the Terracotta Warriors kind of area. So we ended up going in there on that evening. And it was just a kind of a great little kind of moment. It's like a great memory.
0: Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, do you speak Mandarin?
4: Well, at one point, I spoke enough that I could go into a shop and make myself understood.
0: Yeah, brilliant stuff. Okay, next one.
4: Uh, number three.
0: Right, right, I'm quite sure what I was thinking <laughs> when I wrote this one. Ham, jam or spam?
4: Jam, because I'm a vegetarian.
0: Okay, easy. Yeah. <laughs> And the last one?
4: Uh, number 11, please.
0: Actually, no, you don't even get to choose that one. Sorry, because you clearly, the, the last one has to be, how many times did you fail your driving test?
4: I only failed the, the practical test once. I did fail the theory a few more times, but yeah.
0: Okay. All right. So is, was this at a time where you have to do the theory first or you had some grace period to get it done?
4: I had do theory first and the actual test itself was fine. It was the hazard perception section. I think it took me four tries.
0: Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, well done for getting there. Well, look, Um, Charlotte, supremely grateful for you to stepping up um, to do the crash test. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much. Yeah, again, huge thanks to Charlotte and all the Royal College of Radiologists events team and the college itself for continuing to support the podcast. And as always, thanks to Sue Mercer for her invaluable sound editing. That's it for this returning episode. Next time, we'll catch up with another introducing episode when we'll meet the 2022 Röntgen Professor Tristan Barrett from Cambridge. We'll be bringing you new episodes slightly less frequently this year, but that just puts more pressure on us to deliver the quality. So keep an eye out for new releases. As usual, show notes will be available at the RCR website with podcast episodes now also available on the RCR e-learning hub alongside lots of other great research resources. That includes all the recordings from the Clinical Radiology Research Day from November 2021 and the discussion that you heard in today's episode. It was a really good event, packed with something for everyone, so please, if you can, go and check that out. And if you have any questions about what we have discussed today or any other matters related to academic radiology, research, or the Crash Podcast, then you can email them to conf at rcr.ac.uk. That's C-O-N-F at rcr.ac.uk. We really would like to hear from you with any ideas or any individuals that you would like us to talk to on the Crash Podcast. You can also find me on Twitter with the handle at Tom Termsai, so please don't be afraid to ask me any questions. Of course, don't forget about Radiant, the radiology academic network for trainees, which continues its stellar form, recently picking up the scientific prize at the 2021 British Society of Thoracic Imaging for their groundbreaking collaborative COVID CTPA project. Congratulations to everyone that was involved in that. And we're really looking forward to speaking to them in a future episode. So you can check them out at www.radiantuk.com and get yourself and your training scheme involved. Now, if you've enjoyed your crash experience, tell your friends and colleagues, give us a thumbs up and subscribe and share on your social media platforms that's it for now i've been your host tom Termazai until next time stay safe